Blog Talk Radio. that elders and others are losing their rights to liberty and property? Anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. Good evening, everyone. Marty Oakley here of the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Just a reminder, all of these shows are brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and the Whistleblower Summit, which is an annual event every July in Washington, D.C. Um, I truly appreciate all their support. We have a panel there every year and have a very lively discussion and draw quite a large crowd. Um, one of the things we have talked about a lot on the air here is the fact that we, we can't get any cooperation. I think it is an absolute national disgrace that our representatives, both state and federal, our governors, the president, attorney generals, whoever, will not go anywhere near this guardianship issue. They will come out with all kinds of bogus laws, the Elder Justice and Protection Act of 2020, which is simply a reiteration of the Elder Justice and Protection Act of 2019, which was nothing more than a reiteration of standing laws and statutes against wire fraud and scams and all of that. But the, the crux of it was, right dead in the middle of this bill, was a further empowering and funding of the very agencies we fight, plus a few more they threw in for good measure. So they basically gave them more to do more of what they were doing. Now, it is my personal opinion, it is my personal opinion, I'm speaking for me here, there is a wholesale effort around the globe to get rid of the elderly and anyone who is chronically ill. They have decided we are a useless commodity, we have no value, we're many of us not working because we're retired, so you can't be taxed. Well, most of them can't. You can't be taxed, so you have no no value to this government. That and they have raped and raided Social Security to fund illegal wars, uh, hard right religious school vouchers, twelve million for that little thing, and they have drained this account. We have the medical industry 
bilking Medicare, this is by the government's own admission, bilking Medicare out of 30 to $60 billion a year. And now they're talking about cutting benefits, cutting benefits. When Trump talks about this tax break that he's going to give taxpayers, workers, he can't do anything with state taxes. He's not about to reduce federal taxes or eliminate them even temporarily because we're the ones paying the bill on all these trillions of dollars they gave to this, these banks. The only thing left is Social Security, and they're trying to collapse it. Now, according to the actuary from Social Security, if he proceeds with what he's talking about, Social Security will be bankrupt no later than 2023, but most likely by 2021. Where does that leave all the senior citizens in this country who worked 30, 40, 50 years and invested in this program? This isn't an entitlement. This isn't something anybody's getting for free. Nobody gets Medicare for free. There's a monthly premium as low as 233. It can run up to seven, eight hundred dollars a month, plus all the co-pays and whatever else they throw in the mix. Nobody's getting it for free. We financed this thing. We funded it. Don't come now telling me, oh, we can't afford it. The federal government does not fund Social Security. Social Security has done a fine job of funding the federal government. Uh, that needs to stop. Okay, so moving on to tonight's topic. Um, all of you know Lisa Belanger. You know, she's one of our our people, and you know about the war she has battled with Massachusetts and the bar board of overseers or whatever that collection of yahoos calls themselves and who have been trying desperately trying to disbar her to take away her license um, they have i've watched video of what goes on in those meetings and honest to god that these people are allowed to run anything is absolutely unthinkable and and watching this and she's calling them out in the one video of the, the, the violations. They're violating their own rules and regulations, and in many cases, the law. And she will point this out, that you can't do this. This is why you can't do this. And you can tell they get mad. They just get mad as hell. But they've done everything to her. But Lisa is really under the gun. So everybody, she needs your support. Jump up there and let her know we're out here. Now then. We all remember the Netflix ep episode, The Guardians. Uh, it actually brought this issue into the public eye in a way that we never could. <clears throat> and Lisa was in that episode of The Guardians. And she was simply talking about a case. And because the uh, production company showed a sign for this attorney who had um, landed on John Senevich help themselves to much of his property and put him basically on the street they're going after Lisa they're also oh. going after Lonnie Brennan at the Boston Broadside and he he um, printed a lot of articles about this did a lot of work on it so with that in mind cause our guest tonight is Richard Chambers and Richard welcome to the show we're very glad to have you on well, uh, thank you very much for having me Marty yeah. Um, what What's the first thing, Richard, you'd want uh, to know, want people to know about uh, this? Well, the main thing I think I'd like to get across to your listeners is that 
Lonnie Brennan is a small, kind of like a mom and pop type person. Yes. He's not a giant organization or a corporation. Um, he 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 started this he started this newspaper, and he slowly has grown it, and it's really the only conservative newspaper in Massachusetts. Massachusetts <laughs> is, without a doubt, a one-party state, and that's one of the reasons okay. they get to do a lot of the things they do because no one challenges them, and mm-hmm. he really is one of the only no- local papers that had the guts to print the story and he right. you know he got it out there and i don't really believe that's why he's getting sued because he printed the story i would submit to your listeners out there and um you know he has a defense and it's a defense that all uh reporters in the press and people of that nature enjoy it's the first amendment and it's the truth so he printed the truth and now he's getting sued along with lisa Belanger and Netflix for getting the story out. Oh my God. This wow. is, is and that's the thing too, this is an attack on First Amendment. And it's an absolute attack on the First Amendment and that that is our defense. Our defense is the truth. Yes. And that's the thing, you didn't lie or embellish anything. Uh, you know, Lisa, Lonnie, Netflix they didn't embellish anything. Anything that was revealed no, was public in fact, record. People that anyway. have seen the Netflix, I mean, just watch it. You know, it's mm-hmm. they're not. They're just relaying someone's story. They're relaying something that yes. that John Savanovich, according to the Netflix episode, you can watch it and judge him. He's trying to get his story out. Yes. And and one of the ways they are so successful in pulling this stuff off is they have been so successful. It's shutting people down and stopping And that's another thing. That's a great point you put out because they have money. They have a lot of money. They have enough money to hire a prestigious Boston firm, and they count on the fact that financially you can't fight them. It's like a Davy versus Goliath. Yep. Yep. And that is what it is. What you thinking, Cuz? Well, I, when I think of Netflix Dirty Money, they poke at so many different topics, and not just guardianship, so many different topics. And so I'm surprised that this is the one that's going to poke back yeah. at them. I would think they would be so used to um, having the pokes all the time because of what their show is. Well, the thing here is, as Richard said, you've got all of these high-powered, well-moneyed people. And in order for this money train to keep running, you can't know it's on the tracks. And that's the whole thing. This is, uh, Richard, one of the things I've pointed out to people about guardianship and the theft of estates, even if you don't have an estate and you're just one retired individual on Social Security in your community, as one individual, you can be worth more than a million dollars a year in the local economy. Between doctors, hospitals, nursing homes, therapies, pharmaceuticals, this, that, and something else. And you could generate a tremendous amount of income for other people. And none of it has to be legitimate. One of the things about the commercial for NASCA is that they talk about how uh, not all guardians are bad. 
and like I say, I've been doing this this particular topic for 12 years, and I've asked repeatedly if there's a good one out there, bring them to me. I want them on air. Uh, give me one name, and all these years I've yet to have that name show up. Well, uh, well, there is I, what I don't them. like, and then I, I did watch the episode, and I didn't know a lot yes. about guardianship law. I've been a criminal defense attorney. I, I represent people that you know get charged by the government, and I try to get them out of trouble, and same with civil. Yes. Like Lonnie's being sued, and he hired me to fight for him and to defend him. But what yeah. struck me is, and this is just my opinion, that if you even watch the other episode that had to do with the guy down in San Antonio, um, yes. it seems to me like the court picks the guardian and the family yes. doesn't have a say, which I just don't understand how yeah. you know these, these guardians get picked. And once they're in there, you can't get them out. Well, and the, the, see, Richard, the thing is <clears throat> they work. What we have noted over the years is, um, and these are not judges of the law. They are not judges. They're hearing examiners, ministerial clerks, maybe a magistrate, but they're uh, they're off the books as far as law goes. They're all operating under statute. But you get into these little tribunals, and it is the same judge with the same attorneys, the same guardians, the same APS mm-hmm. people, and they just run it like a mill. They just run people through, and that's how they keep getting assigned these cases. Here about six, seven years ago, I believe it was in Ohio, they started advertising, showing pictures of elderly individuals listing the value of their estate, and they were taking bids on guardianship. And we lit that's, up that's on something fierce. Yeah. We lit up fiercely on them, and they pulled it. And uh, I'm, I have no doubt, though, they're doing it behind the scenes. And oh, yeah. I think it's being done in a lot of places. And uh, and you have to watch out for these big fiduciary corporations. Um, there's that large one up there in Minnesota, First Fiduciary. They list all the people that they have kidnapped, isolated, and stolen from as associates. I see. And they run a big three-statewide uh, schmooze job called Magic. And is how what a wonderful bunch they are and how they do this and they do that. And they look after the elderly. They don't do anything at the time. They have their claws so deeply into the Minnesota legislature. You can't get anything done up there. Nothing. I just moved from up there back south. Um, but they, they are so embedded in the legislature. We find this everywhere. These people are not only hooked up in these little tribunals where little cliques of them run, but they are also hooked up in in the state legislators legislatures. I can't talk, excuse me. <laughs> and then when you get to the federal level, you find these big high-powered attorneys, um, these guardians that run these big corporations – and they can sit and have lunch and sleep on the sofa in the senator's office, but you're lucky if you can get in the door. And it, it, it just it makes me sick what goes on and what passes for representation. And like I say, we've been at this for years, and we have yet to see one bill come out that even mentions the word guardianship, much less to rein in these – and they, they are – these are predators – that you can't call them anything else. We have one, Richard, up in uh, Michigan. Mary Rowan has 1,700 wards. She is taking all their Social Security. 
any railroad or military benefits they've got. She's made herself the assigned payee on them. And she stashes them in one of her residential homes that's never been inspected. And she never visits them. And she has a caretaker maybe in there during the day. But when that person leaves, they put a chain and padlock on the refrigerator and cupboard so they can't get into the food. And yet she is given more wards all the time. And one of the things that really upset me was when I read the legal definition of what a ward was. It means you suffered a civil death. You don't exist in the law anymore. You're too stupid to represent yourself. And you declared yourself incompetent to a court. We just get screwed all the time with this legalese, and people think they're reading one thing, but when you actually look up the definitions of these words, you can see a definite plan there to deprive you of your rights, to, to deprive you of your freedom, of your possessions, and like I say, the people that do this, I'm telling you, they are predators. That, that's all. They're no different than people that prey on children. They're preying on the vulnerable. Only in this case, there's a big payoff. You can steal somebody's home, all their life savings, everything they own, and nobody can do anything about it. And, yeah. um, you know, nobody can do anything. But that's my spiel. I'll be quiet now, Richard. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said quite a bit, so I appreciate yeah. I have that. a quick. I have a quick question for Richard. Richard, before you took this case, did you know that all this sort of thing was going on in guardianship? Because you definitely know the law if you're doing civil and criminal. Um, no, I, you know, I, I knew that there were problems, and I've, I've been reached out by uh, potential clients, and I actually have a few cases that have to do with guardianship, but not on the level of the of what Lisa went through herself with her own father and not on the level of, um, of, of the John Savanovich matter. I, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that there was that much, um, that, that it was that rampant, that, that it was, it was yeah. that bad. Yeah, it, it is terrible. Now, <laughs> I have ahead. another question. Now that you've, now that you've taken this case and just knowing that these are, you know, it's a powerful uh, kind of like a mafia kind of group. Are you nervous that they'll turn on you and try and go after your law license, or how? Like, how fearful are you about taking this? Uh, well, I've already been threatened. Uh, <laughs> maybe like the oh, second wow. day. So I oh, mean, yeah. but that goes with the course, the power for the course. I mean, yeah. I've uh, I've I've handled custody cases and divorces for people, so I've been threatened before. So hopefully, I'm just gonna. Wow. Do my job and I play with the yeah. rules and use the rules as best I can for my client. And hopefully, uh, you know, they're not going to come after me if, as long as I'm doing yeah. my job and fighting jealously for my client. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's and I, we have so few attorneys that will step out, and mostly, and a lot of them will Absolutely. tell you, no, if if I get into this, I'll lose my license. They'll destroy me. Mm-hmm. Who's they? Well, I figured out that they is the rest of the bar association that they belong to. And I've seen them do it, Richard. They will turn on them with a vengeance. They will try to take their law license. They will print false stories about them, absolutely ruin their practice, their careers, and leave them penniless. And it's like watching a pack of wolves descend on a carcass. Um, they Nothing is allowed to stop this. I read recently that 
60% of the income for, or what was it, 60% of the large law firms in this country make the bulk of their money from guardianship and conservatorship. It's what keeps them rolling. And you've got this bunch here out there in Massachusetts about three years ago. Your former attorney general, Harshberger, came up with a bill. And I read through this thing and my head almost exploded. He gave immunity to everyone in these cases. You couldn't touch them for anything. And even to day workers, like in a nursing home, they could not be held liable even for ordinary neglect. That that statement alone almost set me on fire. So I wrote him a letter. Wow, that that is a and problem, said, and that is that's yeah. definitely a problem in Massachusetts because um, the judges. It may be different in Minnesota. I'm not sure. I know down south it's different, yes. but. Judges are yeah, appointed by the governor now. in Massachusetts, and that they don't run for office. Yeah. Oh. And see, a lot of states are like that. But even like when I was still in Minnesota, come voting time, if there were judgeships open, they would list them on the ballot, but there were only two people listed. You knew one of them had already been tapped for the job, so it didn't make any difference who you – they picked who you were going to vote for. Um, and nobody had to campaign. And you didn't know what anybody's record was or how many complaints were against them. You know, you didn't know anything about them. And so it was just a matter. And they, we always had a line on there that said other. So I would write myself in or somebody else I knew. And um, But uh, I refused to vote for one of these two people. One of them got it anyway. They were already working in that capacity when we voted. And this is the way it is in most states. And people say, oh, no, they have to. They, we vote for them. What do you know about them? Well, what, yeah. did they campaign? Well, no. Then what do you know about them? Well, so what is it you think you're voting for? What is it you think you got for that? And as I've said many times, people say to me, because I just get riled up over this bogus legislation and everything, well, I'll I'll take what I can get. Well, you got nothing. How's that sitting with you? And But going back to this bill by Harshberger, like I say, I wrote him and asked him, please explain to me what ordinary neglect is because I'm not aware of what this might be. And I wrote him, I think, seven different times. He never responded. I have no idea why. I was very nice. And <clears throat> But, You're you know, nice, it just was, yes, as nice as I can be, and you have to understand <laughs> what that means. But anyway, um, but here was this bill that just absolutely gave them carte blanche to do whatever they wanted to do and no repercussions. And I think what bothers me, and just like John Sanovich, this destroyed this man's life or what was left of it. There was no, why should anybody, even subject to a guardianship, why should they be stripped of their identity, which they are, this is the major cause of identity theft, your identity is handed over to that guardian who presents themselves as you. And they can access all your assets, but you can't. And they can sell off or do whatever they want with it, but you can't touch it, and it's your stuff. And we've seen this happen so many times. People, uh, they'll seize a home under when they're doing estate theft, and they'll go in there, and they won't let the family have anything out of the home. No memorabilia, pictures, nothing. And they'll load up dumpsters with family heirlooms and every course. If there's anything worth anything, they take it. 
and I liken this to the collecting of trophies um, for serial killers. And I, because mm-hmm. I think that's what these people are. You cannot act in this way every day of the week, knowing you are destroying someone else's life, knowing you have stolen what did not belong to you and used it for your own purposes, these are serial killers. And then you take jewelry, mementos, anything of value from that person, and then throw the rest of it in a dumpster and sell their house. Well, what about the yeah. urns, Marty? Talk about the yes. urns. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this. About 10 years ago on my website, we outed a creditor guardian down in Florida named Rebecca Furley. Now, in 2007, Rebecca Furley was bankrupt. In 2010, she's a guardian, which Florida law says if you've been bankrupt, you can't be a guardian. But hell, who pays any attention to that? Anyway, in the <laughs> first three or four years she was running, <laughs> she availed herself of several luxury homes and cars. And this rolled on, and people kept reporting her, reporting her. But finally, she must have stepped on somebody's toes because last year they nailed her. What they find in her office, Richard, is she's got these lighted glass shelves, and on them are all these fancy urns with the ashes of people she's had killed, DNR. And so, you know, these were her trophies. Then there was April Parks in Nevada. Yeah. She kept all her trophies in a warehouse, like a storage thing, that only she could see. Same thing. It's the ashes of people she had taken out. She got everything she could get from them. Time for them to leave. <clears throat> this is going on all over the country. And they it, use their powers. They yeah. use their powers. That the family at the end, they just want the ashes, and they use their powers yes. to even keep that from the family. Yes. And they get away with it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, because and I've seen it in court papers where they've sued to try to get the ashes, and that person doesn't exist. Uh, that identity is now borne by this guardian, and so that's who those ashes belong to. I've, I've seen some of the, Richard, some of the most mind-numbing things come out of these courts, and I just can't believe it. Are you aware of all of the movement on the net for um, repairing the court system, the judicial system? Because it's growing by the day, and guardianship and, and family court, where they're ripping families apart, um, have really taken front and center. Have you seen anything on that? Uh, no, I haven't, but I'll tell you that I would say, I would suggest that that's a good thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, going back to our actual core topic here tonight, and Netflix is being sued also. And yes, as I Netflix understand it, and, um, it, the production company is probably, I don't have the caption in front of me, but it's like Netflix and yes. probably about four or five other entities that are part of Netflix. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's a, Jigsaw Productions is the one that put Jigsaw, this out. Jigsaw, Muddy Waters. Yes. Yep. And um, so, but there, as I understand it, they went and hired an attorney from the same bar board of overseers, a member of that board, that's trying to take Lisa's license, trying to wreck her. Now, to me, now, Richard, if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. I won't react well, but tell me anyway. No. <laughs> well, I but don't I, I don't necessarily know if, about that. I mean, I know they have an attorney, yeah. and um, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know about, you know, I don't, I wasn't aware but of if, uh, having to do okay, anything with that. If they so. did, if they did get one of these. If they people, did, that, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't believe they did, but if they did, that'd be a problem. Yeah. yeah that's what I was thinking. It'd be a conflict of interest at the very least. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. So, I mean, we're going to have to watch this very closely. Um, I know too, there's a GoFundMe site set up for Lonnie. You want to talk about that a minute? Oh, yeah, I would. Um, Like I mentioned, you know, Lonnie is a uh, very small um, grassroots paper, and he he has a lot of people that actually volunteer just trying to get the paper out and uh, writing articles, et cetera. And um, one of the things, if you go to the um, Boston Broadside website, you'll see there's a GoFundMe account. And, you know, if people want to help contribute to his defense, um, I know he's he's uh, he's asking for people to help in any way they can. Yeah, and this is a very legitimate guy too. I've worked with Lonnie in the past, and um, until I moved, I got a copy of his paper every month. And it is quite. I'm, I'm not a right winger. I'm a political atheist. Quite honestly, I don't believe none of them. But um, uh, it's a very good little newspaper. Very well written. Well researched. Um, well, I'll say, it, you know, whether you're on the left or the right, one of the things I'm that either. I advocate is, you know, having two sides to a story. And yes. the, the nice thing about the broadside is it gives you the other side that's suppressed in Massachusetts. Yes. So at least it's, yes. a, it's yeah. a paper that, you know, gives you gives you a different point of view than you're getting because every single paper is, is, is far to the left in, in Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah, and there are states like that, and then you get in other states as far to the right, and you just don't know, you know, but it, it it's a nice counter. And like I say he does such a nice job of putting this together. This isn't some rag that, you know, like a tabloid. Um, he does – this is an actual little newspaper with some real news in it, whether you agree with no, it or not. No, and that's the thing. It has real news. It's not just political yeah. news. He's It has yeah. – all kinds of all kinds of news and he's not afraid to tell a story right right and he's a good writer too um oh he's a great he writer a, yeah he he is and uh but so uh, everybody if you would if you can spare five or ten or twenty uh and it, they're they end too i've had people say things to me when somebody's put up a goal for me well they're never going to reach their goal well if you don't give them anything they damn sure won't if you were in that position and needed help, would you want people sitting back and going, well, you're never going to get there anyway, so there's no point in me. Every little bit helps. You can afford 5 10 20 bucks. I'm probably poorer than anybody I know, but I, I can give. I can give 10 or 20 bucks, and you can do the same. So please get off your stingy butts and get over there and help raise some money for Lonnie. I, oh, Lord. Um Richard, when you first read this lawsuit, what was your first impression of it? Well, it's a great question. And when I first looked at this lawsuit, my my, my first impression was somebody killed a lot of trees. Because <laughs> he got served. It was probably, uh, oh, I don't know. The, you know those big boxes you buy full of copy paper? It was probably about half yeah. of that. Oh, wow. wow. So I'm still Jiminy reading Christmas. it. <laughs> Jiminy Christmas. I just, oh, 
I just hate what our legal system has become is is anything but legal, anything but justified. We've got wired judges sitting on the bench all over the country. We see, and I'm going to tell you something too. The Supreme Court of the United States, I believe, needs to be disbanded. It has ceased to function as a branch of government. The premise was to protect and guard the Constitution and the rights of everybody, and it's nothing but a political rubber stamp. And I've seen them come out with, and I always use as example, Judge Roberts' ruling opinion on Obamacare. And he said, well, because the um, government had the power to tax, which actually it does not, corporations but not labor, and uh, it, then that made it legal. But that wasn't the question. The question was, does the federal government have the right to regulate trade in the state? And that was the question. And no, they do not. They can regulate trade between the states, but not within the state. So everything they do in the state comes with a memorandum of understanding, a formal contract, and then the bribery we call funding. And they bring their business plan in at that point when you take the money. And everybody has to abide by it because they contracted with them. It's contract law. So anyway, and this was why they set up these insurance exchanges in the state, was to give the federal government access and control. But this was never – but I read through his ruling a bunch of legalese nonsense and gibberish. And then I saw him uh, on an interview, and I think it was on PBS or – NCR, one of those, NPR, and he was saying, well, he said, because the host asked him, what, what does this say? Well, and he spent 15 minutes going, well, uh, and if you, and uh, he couldn't even tell you what it said. And to have this kind of gobbledygook come out of the Supreme Court of the United States, where the average citizen cannot pick it up, and even professionals read it and make sense of it, that's got to stop. That has got to stop. Um, And it's the Constitution. That's all you're supposed to do. Compare the law in front of you to the Constitution. Does it jive or is it arbitrary to it? If it is, it's Uh, unconstitutional. Not to interrupt you, but, you know, being an attorney, that's one of the things I ask for. No matter what case I'm on, I ask that the Mm -hmm. judge just be neutral like a referee and apply the law in the Constitution. And that's Good what they you. Well, a lot. Some do, but a lot don't. Yeah, yeah. And then you don't know who they're hooked up with, and you find out later on they're good buddies with this one or that one, or they had these meetings outside of what do they call that ex parte, um, outside of the case in the courtroom, and they come to an agreement about how things are going to go. And this is not a judicial system. This is a racketeering system. And yeah. they've, they've got us all by the short hairs. I mean, this is racketeering, plain and simple. And when when the judge sitting on the bench refuses to act in the best interest of the law and the person subject to it, we don't have a judicial system. It's, I don't know. I don't know. Um, go ahead, Richard, and... Say what you well, one of the one of the things I found in my practice is, um, you know, if somebody gets charged with a crime or if they get hit with a civil lawsuit and I'm defending them, a lot of times, you know, when you have the truth on your side, you say, okay, 
uh, we're going to have a jury trial. We'll hold out for a jury trial. And, and one of the ways they beat you is because in order to get to a jury, the other, the opposing side will file motions that have to be heard from a judge. And they'll, the judge can actually take it away from the jury. In a civil case, they'll file a motion, uh, um, a motion uh, for summary judgment. And that's decided by a judge. And it's supposed to be decided on a matter of law. And if you don't get the right judge, then you know what? You can end up losing your case before you even get to pick a jury. And that's, and that's the thing that I don't like about the family court is you're deciding issues where, let's say I'm representing someone and we're fighting over custody of a child or custody of an elder person or you're fighting over some really important things. There are no jury trials. It's all decided by an appointed judge. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, and that's the thing. Everything has been done <laughs> to eliminate the jury trial. And the grand juries, of course, there's a big battle brewing over that. It's been going on for quite some time. Well, we had a stand in law school about the grand jury that they could indict a ham sandwich because they only yeah. get one side. You don't, as yes. a defense attorney, you don't get to go in there and give the opposite side. So right. all they hear is from a prosecutor, and they, and yep. you know, they just want to go home and okay, well, I guess we'll indict. <laughs> that's it. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And and that's just it. That's what a lot of people. You, I'm glad you brought that up, Richard, because this isn't where they go in and present both sides. You're absolutely right, and it's the prosecutor. You, don't, you can't even present evidence. your case. They don't even hear yeah. from the other side. They only hear one side. Right, exactly, huh. and they it, we know how notorious prosecutors have become infamous for uh, fabricating cases, and by the time you actually get into a courtroom where you might have a jury, the, everything is so tainted against you, and they use what they did before as evidence of what you're supposed to have done, which is stuff they created to begin with. Um, right, it, it's the it's same way when they apply for these warrants. They, they go in for these yes. warrants at that. Uh, one-sided in the middle of the night, whenever they present one side and the judges rubber stamps the warrant. Yep. Yep. And a lot of times they don't even have a warrant. Um, I know they were trying to push, I believe it was in Indiana here some years ago that they didn't need a warrant. If they were reasonably sure they could obtain one, if they got in front of a judge, um, then they didn't actually have to have one. And the Indiana Supreme Court came down on that and said, no, you you need to get in front of a judge. And I've tried to explain to people about the difference between, you know, run-of-the-mill warrant and a legal warrant. And that means that the person bringing the charges has to appear in front of a judge, give evidence of what they're saying. The judge has to accept it as more than likely true, issue the warrant, and a wedding signature, meaning they, uh, you know, have to sign it in person. It can't be a boiler. Am I wrong? Uh, no. It, 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 um, and another one of the steps, the person that applies for the warrant, the affiant, they actually, actually sign an affidavit stating that they have credible information or they have evidence to back up their uh, the probable cause to issue the warrant, and it's signed under oath. I feel like a judge has no respect for an oath. Yeah, I just... Um... I found that out the hard way of my own experiences in a matter, but um, <clears throat> this is, I think, 
I think we're at a crossroads in this country, and like I say this, just like with John Sanovich, this story really struck a nerve with people, that this could be done to this older man. And one of the things they kept saying was, well, he obviously, you know, he was a hoarder. And your point? Well, um, his, the one house was in disrepair. Did you run over and try to help him fix it? Well, no. And what are you bitching about? Well, one of the you things I'd like to get across, and I think that's so important in these lawsuits, is when someone brings a lawsuit against you, and, and you, have, you have a right to defend it, and the most important thing are the facts. And that's where I go back right. to the beginning when I talked about the truth. The facts matter. Yes. Yes. And they do matter. And But, it, you know, we've had so many cases, Richard, where people go into court and the judge won't let them speak. And they won't acknowledge that they're in the courtroom. And then we have the panels up on the judges' benches where they can control the audio. And when they're acting outside the law in the Constitution, they shut the audio off. And when they step back in and act like they got some sense, they turn it back on. Then they print up the transcript as if nobody objected. Nobody said anything. That's not true. Well, that's one of the things I'd like to stress to your listeners, too. And I know. Sometimes people don't have the money and they can't afford an attorney, but, you know, and lawyers get a bad name. It's kind of like used car salesman or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, and a lot of people have had bad experience with lawyers. But what I like to say is when you need a lawyer yourself, when you're going through something yourself and it's really important, you want to try to get the best lawyer on your side because this is the thing. At least the lawyer can advocate for you, and sometimes mm-hmm. you're too emotionally – involved and that's when what you're talking about and i've seen it happen i'll sit in court and i feel really bad for these people they'll come in they'll represent themselves and they'll get caught up in a legal ease like you said or uh judge will just you know they'll shut them down and that's the biggest mistake people can make yes yes it is Uh, well uh we i've also read recently there and i think i saw this on westlaw that 70% of all lawsuits of any kind across the country are now being filed pro se. And right behind that, this has been a few years back, the Supreme Court came out and said they would no longer hear any pro se cases. They haven't heard one since 1974. What are you bringing this up for? And but uh, in Washington, or Wisconsin, in 2010, the Supreme Court of Wisconsin passed uh, rules and regulations and you can be a pro se attorney, but nobody can help you if they do they're guilty of a felony. What that felony might be, I don't know. Um, but they did that in 2010. Uh, but we have these collections, this thing of <laughs> voting themselves qualified immunity. Ain't no such thing. Uh, they were arguing that qualified immunity, because if they didn't have immunity, uh, they might be afraid to hand down some decisions well, the only ones I could think they'd be afraid of are the ones that are unconstitutional, unlawful, or you know, <laughs> really harm someone else. That'd be the only ones I'd be afraid of. And uh, but that—that's what they sell it on. That's a phony doctrine right there. It should have never been allowed. Um, but well, of course, one the of, one of, of the justice, things that bothers me is the fact that you know <laughs> these people when you're when you have a problem and you want to sue the government and they yes. have immunity. And yes. they have, um, when you bring a lawsuit, you're capped at what you can get out of them. And you can't, yep. you know, and, and they have all the rules in their advantage and the judges and 
Um, they yep. have unlimited resources to defend themselves, and it, it's 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 really a big problem. <clears throat> yes, and it's all funded by taxpayers. And uh, well, that's so the kicker, paying, right? We're paying for it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you know, when I first was in this, one of the things, and this was happening quite routinely at the time, <laughs> people would. I honestly, Richard, saw people mortgage their houses two and three times, spend their kids' college funds trying to save mom or dad, keep the property, keep the money, just give me back mom or dad. And they'd get right to the door after thousands and thousands of dollars in retainers to these attorneys who did nothing. They had to do all the footwork themselves and supply them with everything, the, the information, which really struck me on. But they'd walk right to the door of the courtroom turn around and look at those people they'd taken tens of thousands of dollars from and go, I can't represent you. You're going to have to fire, find another attorney and walk away, leave them standing there. And of course they don't get any of their money back. <laughs> I've always likened that. Like, you know, if I take my car to the mechanic, tell him to put four tires on it and he only puts two on, but still tries to charge me this and not refund any of my money. You know, I can go after him, but for some reason I can't go after an attorney who just raked me over the coals. And see, this is that, given that whole uh, field is such a bad name, this underhanded stuff. So when we get a good attorney, everybody's like, yay, you know, um, but they they destroy them. I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. Um, so you you keep in touch with us because they start in on you. We'll blow it out all over the place. Oh, <laughs> and, believe me, I will. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, and because um, we got a huge, huge following, and um, we'll get it out there. But this is, you know, I'm so thankful to hear somebody's actually got some cojones and some integrity and character because too many of them out there. I think that's one of the main reasons they go after Lisa. They can't break her. They can't make her reduce herself to what they are, which is a bunch of crooks and yeah. liars. And I think that's why they can't stand it. You can well, see her. Well, I, I know you've um, you've had Lisa on the show, so I will say one thing yes. about Lisa is you can't muzzle her. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can't. She will tell no, you, you exactly what's on her mind, and I'll tell you what she's a she's a damn good lawyer. Yes, I've yeah. heard other people say that too. I, I think one of the uh, one of the most heartbreaking moments in all these years was she had gone in front of the Massachusetts Supreme Court begging for the right to see her father. And the attorneys and the guardians are standing on the other side going, Your Honor, she's she's costing the estate money. She's wasting her father's money. And Lisa said, I'm not getting anything. You're the one taking his money. She says, what are you talking about? I'm costing. Well, he, he has to pay us for being here. And it, it finally, well, in talk, this, it was you talk like about she, hypocrites because if you take a look at the bills, and uh, I'm just saying in general, you look at what they charge, it's it's yes. it's, it's unbelievable. They just eat up yes. like um, like 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 vultures eating a carcass. Yes. Yeah. But in that I have video, a and that's been, okay. Go ahead, on. Oh, I have a question for Richard that I that everyone listening is thinking. All right, Richard. What states, because everyone's loving you, what states can you practice in? Only Massachusetts, or can you practice in other states in the United States? Well, right now, I, I, um, I've been, I went to law school in Massachusetts, and I sat and took the bar in Massachusetts. So I can practice in Massachusetts, but 
I have practiced in other states. I can pretty much practice in any other state. But what I would have to do is you have to file a motion called Prohack Vice, depending on the state. And if I could get a local uh-huh. council to sign off for me, I'd have enough experience in court and in the federal court and in trials where um, I can I can come up, I can represent you in any state as long as I have a local attorney. That's in other words, I've practiced in the state of New Hampshire. I have a, a friend of mine that's known me for many years, and we've we've been co-counsel, and I've represented people in the federal court in New Hampshire. He will sign off, and and he will say. Look, I know I'm a licensed attorney in New Hampshire. I know the rules. I'm going to make sure that Richard adheres to New Hampshire rules, and then they feel confident that I can come on for the case. Right. Yeah. Wow. One of the other things. <laughs> a yeah. lot of people are going to be calling. Do you got any friends in Pennsylvania? <laughs> oh, my well, goodness. I'll tell you what. I haven't, I haven't practiced in Pennsylvania, but if there's an attorney listening out there that needs my help and wants to uh, talk to me and sign off and vouch for me, then guess what? Have gun, will travel. Wow. (laughs) Well, I think once you master this, because I just feel so good, once you master, you're going to take them down in Massachusetts, every state where you're going to have hundreds of clients lined up. Let's do this state next. Let's do this state. Let's do this state. Because every state. Yes. Wow. Well, well, sounds, sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just, uh, and like I say, there's so few out there. Not that there's so few that don't think this way, but there's so few willing to step forward. They're scared to death. Yeah. Uh, one of the they other are. big movements that is just booming is a movement to disbar the bar associations to make it illegal for them to form an association because they are a threat to the country. Um, well, I'll tell you, you what, know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know how you feel about gun rights, but that's one of the things I do in Massachusetts is, um, and hardly any attorneys will do it. They're all afraid to do it because it's such a blue state and they're so anti-gun. So for years, uh, when people lose their gun license, it's, it's, um, in Massachusetts and believe it or not. And I have family from Mississippi and Louisiana. And when they hear this, they can't believe it, but you have to apply for a gun license no matter what it is, right. a shotgun, rifle, anything, with the chief of police. And the chief of police can deny you simply right. on what's called suitability. And I don't like that right. person. He's not suitable. And you can't, you're not allowed to have a jury trial. All you can do is file right. what's called a petition for judicial review and take him in front of a judge. But it depends on who the judge is and which way they swing politically. Yes. And, yes. um, you know, it's very difficult to find a, a lawyer to fight for you when you lose your gun rights mm-hmm. because it's what you said. You ask attorneys, well, will you represent? Well, no, no, I, I don't want to get involved with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a staunch Second, opinion, uh, second Amendment supporter, and uh, we just had, uh, in fact, Pelosi tried to load into a, the stimulus bill a red flag a gun law that would have uh, targeted our veterans and made it illegal for them to own a firearm. Uh, we did that here about five years ago. Um, the Veterans Administration sent out letters to 120,000 veterans, most of whom had never been to a VA or anything else, sought any benefits, and said, because you were more, we assume you have PTSD, therefore you, we have removed your Second Amendment gun rights. You cannot own a gun. You cannot pick up a gun, fire a gun. You can't do nothing. 
And, well, uh, you know, it's funny you should say that because I represent a lot of veterans, a lot of veterans in Massachusetts, and these are Marines and guys who were yep. trained, and they were trained yes. the right way how to use firearms, and they're coming back from yes. combat. And you know what? They have a catch-22 because if they go to the VA hospital and they're actually experiencing depression or problem, and they're asked, well, do you feel su- suicidal? And they're honest. The next thing you know, they're losing their guns. Yes. Wow. Yes. And there, there's another thing here, too. We have right now 1.2 million veterans in this country. Um, here two years ago at Standing Rock, the Standing Rock Sioux are fighting the DXL pipeline, which thank God for them. Uh, because that it has spills all the time that the public is supposed to clean up. It comes out of Canada. And while all of this was going on, they had 60 different spills that contaminated the Missouri, the Ogallala Aquifer, which is where all the water comes from in the Midwest. And But anyway, they had brought police departments in, Richard, from Wisconsin, Minnesota, um, I think it was Wyoming, to back up the North Dakota police. And they're shooting people with water cannons in sub-zero temperatures. Um, They're stripping people down naked outdoors, throwing them in cages, and using a marker to put a number on their arms. That's a nice psychological effect. Uh, They did all sorts of things to these people. So the tribe put out a call for veterans. We need help. And I remember on the news they were making fun of, you know, like any of these guys are going to show up. They're not going to be bothered. Over a 1,000 of them showed up. And they formed a line in front of the Indians. And now a reporter I was working with at the time said, I can't believe it. I said, what What scares me is this was a test run. This is what the feds were watching for. Would these guys stand up collectively to defend the public? And I said, this had to put, scared the bejesus out of all of them. Over a thousand of them show up. They're not armed. They've got their insignia on from the service they were in. They formed a line and said, if you go after them, you're going to have to get through us. And at that point, the Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming police departments packed up their little goodies and left. And um, so they finally backed them down. But this is the one, this is why they're trying to disarm the veterans. They, They already know that they will coalesce and stand up to defend us. And we taught them how to kill. We taught them how to shoot. We taught them how to strategize and do all sorts of ugly little things. But now that they're home, they're a threat to the government. And so they're doing everything they can to disarm these people. They're drugging inordinate numbers of them to death. And uh, I, I just think it is shameful. It is absolutely Well, that's one of the shameful. things. If for every every single person listening out there, I'll tell you this. That is one of the most important things when you go out to vote. Make sure whoever you mm-hmm. vote for supports the Second Amendment. Because I'll tell you what, without yes. that, then the government's going to do – they, they get away with yes. enough well, as it is now, but they're just going to do what they want. Well, the thing is they don't care if you have a gun or you don't. This is honest for God's truth. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg on the weapons they have arrayed against us, like these energy pulse weapons. Um all sorts of sound weapons, all kinds of sorts of things, stuff that's so ugly and monstrous you don't even want to think about it. So they don't care if you have a gun. What they do care about is if they can knock down the Second Amendment, the psychological effect on the country would be devastating. It is the underpinning 
to everything. And the Second Amendment does not exist so you can go shoot a deer. A Second Amendment exists in case you are faced with a tyrannical government so you can defend yourself. But they really, they make guns the issue, but they want you feeling disempowered, feeling there's no way out. You have to comply because you have no way to defend yourself. That's what's trying to destroy the Second Amendment is. Have you noticed that every time uh, they try to shove through one of these terrible bills, there's a mass shooting somewhere? And when the school shootings oh, yeah. aren't going Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Anymore, yeah, it's yeah. funny how that happens. Yeah. Yes, and and when the school shootings didn't rock anybody so much, then it was churches, and they open fire in a church, and these people just mysteriously show up when they're going to vote on one of these bills and pull off this obscene act, and then they disappear, you know, for all intents and purposes. But it's always, you know, coincidental that right when they're going to vote, one of these things happens. But like I say, the destruction of the Second Amendment is taking away your right to defend yourself from tyranny. That's why it's there. Oh, and I I agree with you. I mean, I was a history major, and I'm from Massachusetts. And my analogy is, you know, when when the government came to collect the guns at Lexington, it was the Mm -hmm. farmers and the blacksmith and the citizen soldier Mm -hmm. that stood up to them. It was was the fact that they had – you know, the equivalent, they, they had a brown bass musket hanging over their fireplace and that's what yes. the British soldiers had. And they said, no, you're not taking our firearms. And they stood yes. up to them. And that's the reason for right. the second amendment, a well-regulated militia. Yes. It's not so you can go yes. shoot it there. And when, when they say, when the politicians come out and say, you know, what do you need that for? How many bullets do you need to shoot a deer? No, it has nothing to do with that. It's exactly how you just expressed it. Yes. Yeah. It just, um, and that's what they want. It's a psychological impact of taking that away from us. Uh, as I've gotten older, Richard, the more I've realized that we have gone from so-called physical assaults. They're working on us mentally. Uh, they're messing with our heads. Uh, you know, blue is black and red is green. And if you think different, boy, there's something wrong with you. And oh, no, I call it the that- Superman bizarro world, Mike. My wife thinks I should have been born in the 1950s because the way the country is now, I don't recognize it. You know, I don't either. I remember coming out of high school and thinking how lucky I was to have grown up in the United States. And back at that time, I mean, it was like the world was your oyster. Jobs, uh, everybody wanted to get on at the post office because they paid the best and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And But what I'm saying is it was just like there was so much, and it, you were so proud, and we thought we were this proud, noble, wonderful country, this beacon of hope. And as I have aged tremendously, I have realized that our flag should have a skull and crossbone on it and blood dripping off of it. Um, there is nothing noble about what our government does to other people, what it's doing to its own people. Uh, we are in the process of what's called democide, which is the killing off of your own population. Um, it, this, we are dead in the middle of this, and that's what they're doing. They have decided the elderly have no value. They're taking up space. They're eating up resources. And what really gets me is these young people who are chiming in on this and going, well, yeah, you've had a long life. You need to get out. You need to move on. You're using up resources that we need. For one thing, you're in park. You ain't using up nothing. 
And now, those um, young people are really being indoctr- indoctrinated. They used oh, to be, my God, like I yes. said, I was a teacher. I, they used to teach a class, and this is what gets me because when I pick a jury, I want older people on my jury. Yes. I don't want these young yes. people because literally when I start to tell them about how the government has to prove their case and how they have to, the defendant doesn't even have to, have to testify or take the stand, and the government has the burden to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt to a moral certainty. They're just looking at me like there's in the headlight. they just like, what do you mean? Yeah. The police arrested him. He must be guilty. Yeah. Hmm. But I, I they don't teach uh, civics. My... They, don't, they no. don't teach these kids to think. My, uh, I raised two of my granddaughters, and when they were in senior high school, in the 11th grade, my granddaughter uh, came home from one day. She's carrying a 4.0. And she was in tears, and she had a demerit and a detention. And I said, what did you do? She said, well, today we discussed the Constitution for an hour. I said, a whole hour. She says, well, Nanny, it's only a page long. I said, the Constitution is 332 pages long. How could you possibly cover it in one hour? But I said, what's what's the problem? She said, the teacher said, uh, she wasn't going to give it much time because it was an old, archaic document, and it really had no relevance these days. And did they think that global citizenship would be possible in their lifetime, like it was something to be desired? And she mm-hmm. said, I raised my hand and stood up and said, I am a global citizen by nature. She said, but I live on the land in Minnesota. And she said, and don't ever tell my grandma that the Constitution <laughs> of the United States is an old, irrelevant, archaic document because she will rip your tongue out of your mouth. So they gave her a demerit and detention, and so, of course, we jumped in the car and drove right up to the school. And I get the principal, explain the problem. I said, is the teacher still here? She is. I said, get her down here. So she came down, and I told her who I was. She goes, oh, you're Brianna's grandmother. I said, don't talk to me in that sing-songy voice. And I said, don't you ever, ever tell my granddaughter that the Constitution of the United States is old, archaic, archaic, and has no relevance. Because she's right. I will rip your tongue out of your mouth. And she says, you know, we would appreciate it. I said, who's we? Well, those of us who teach. She said, we would appreciate it if you limited your conversations at home and you don't broach these subjects she said, because it makes it difficult for us to teach. I said, what, treason? <laughs> and I said, don't yeah. ever presume to tell me what I can talk to my granddaughter about or her friends who always congregated in by my computer and we're talking about everything. And I said, and the next time you're going to preach this, you remove my granddaughter from the room because I don't want her subjected to this. And she says, well, you know, the curriculum, I said, is no child left behind and then common core. And it is to indoctrinate these kids into thinking that we don't need a state. We have already got representatives and senators referring to the imaginary boundaries between the states. If it weren't for these imaginary boundaries, I said, we've been split into nine regions across the governing country. I said, with... Um, I said regional government uh, governors that I said supposedly can over, oversee the local your state governor and they can change and do whatever they want to do. I said thanks, I'll pass on that one too. And so anyway, she stood there and looked at me. But I said I say don't ever tell my granddaughter again 
that the Constitution of the United States is older. She turned around to the principal and said, did you hear her? She threatened me. He said, no, I didn't hear anything. And (laughs) so we, we went on home, but they do this in the schools, and they are teaching. You're absolutely right. They're indoctrinating these kids into thinking that this global, for the world economy they're trying to reset for now, this global citizenship, why we'd all be so happy. And we'd all be, you know, it would just be utopia if we just had one world government and everything. But in all of this, what we have tracked globally is that this system of culling the elderly, hastening their deaths, doing all of this stuff to them, stealing their property, this is happening globally. And it's done the same way in every country. But it is a global culling of the elderly. But first, we want to rob you if you got anything. I... I I don't know where we're going to end up from all of this. I hear people talking about, oh, the morality, the morality. Um, And then people screaming about, you know, well, the homosexuals and the transgendered, and if it wasn't for them, and they're destroying the, the nuclear family. No, they're not. No, they're not. The only people with the power to do that is your state and federal government, and they're doing a fine job. That's the only thing. These people you don't know. Who live different than you do have no effect on you. Now you may not agree with the way they live or what they're doing. That's neither here nor there. But they are not the ones destroying the family. That's your government. That's this corrupt court system. That's this whole racket that's running that have buys and sells the elderly and their property. And they make it profitable. They buy and sell your children. And I... I, Look to the people with the power to do this. And like I say, over these years, Richard, I have talked to more politicians. Honest to God, they'll just make you gag. Um, it's always the same cause, and I have talked about this. Why they never heard of such a thing. Why nobody told them this was happening. Well, it must have been an isolated incident. I'm going to look into this, and I'll get back to you. Well, I'll sit right by the phone and wait for that one. And they never do, of course. But this is this is what I'm saying. We've got no help where there should be help. And instead what we've got is a system that helps keep all of this running. And these people are the facilitators. I say there hasn't been one bill come out that even mentions the word guardians. And they, they'll, they'll talk about fungus on your toenail, but they will not mention guardians or the theft of estates. And here this is being exposed over and over and over again. And this story of John Sanovich, like I say, hit a lot of people who said, well, they must have done something wrong or they wouldn't have done that to him. No, you just had something somebody else wanted. And then there's a big payoff, you know, if they can get you in the system, rob you, and then take you out early. And... Uh, we we don't stand a chance. The way I see it, we just do not stand a chance. And we can't get an honest output from anybody who could do something about it. And I'm sorry I ranted again. I'll be quiet. <laughs> well, you made some really good points. So uh, while, you, while you're making good points, I'm going to just listen. Okay. Well, that's just... You know, it, you, you just simply have to keep yourself. Uh, one of the things, Richard, is like the news and why I think Boston Broadside is so important. It is well written. It's well constructed. It's well documented and resourced. It's actually worth reading. Now, I may not agree with a lot of what's in there, 
but I don't like people who agree with me all the time. I find them tediously boring. And uh, but you know it does present the other side of the issue, and it does it in such a reasonable way that it actually makes sense. It's not emotional, and it's not you know some embellished fabrication. It's it's well done. Well, one of the and, things that you know when when you're talking about how there's no one out there to help, the politicians just turn a blind eye, and uh, they're doing these things throughout the country. It's a culling of of the elderly. Uh, yes. One of the things that struck me is that, and I can't really comment one way or the other because you know it's an open lawsuit. But when you see what Netflix did, they at least tried to get the word out there. And one yes. of the things that when I talked about before about the broadside being sued, I simply fall to the truth is the defense. And all of your listeners out there, I if they have looked at the episode. You know, I would I would ask them to judge whether or not who's speaking in that episode, who's telling the story, because yeah. it seems to me like, yeah. you know, that man was trying to he was speaking for himself. People weren't putting words in his mouth. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And, and he asked for he asked for Lisa. It seemed to me he himself asked for her yes. to be his lawyer. And they tried to stop that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because Lisa can't be bought, that's why. And, oh, uh, guarantee you that. Some yeah, people, she, she you know, that's just in yep. their core, and doesn't matter how much money you put in front of them, they're going to fight just because it's right. Yes, yeah. and that's Lisa. That is Lisa. Um, you know, I've watched her go through so much over these years, fighting for her dad and, and the heartbreak that went with that. Like I say, they were so close, as you pointed out. You knew the man. And well, one of the they, things they you brought him. up, and it struck me too, is it seems to me like um, you watched it. I didn't watch it, but they're trying to. You said one of the one of the reasons they were trying to take her a license is because she went to see her father. Then think about that for yes. a minute. Yes. Yes. And they finally, about a week before his death, let her see him, and he knew who she was and everything. <laughs> but they had him barricaded in his home. He was a prisoner in his own home. And they were forcibly medicating him, which he didn't need, um, but chemically restraining him. And he refused the medication, so they mashed it up and put it in his food. And at one point, he was sitting banging his head on the window, pulling his own hair out. That's what these medications will do to you. These are all handler drugs. All of this psychotropic crap, you know, that they, you know, if you have depression, take this. It isn't going to fix your depression. It's just going to dull you down so that you're not functional. And it also causes permanent damage to the frontal cortex of your brain. Every one of them. Haldol, Seroquel, all of them. Uh, those happen to be two of the worst. And, um, but, <laughs> you know, and for her, as close as they were, and she loved her dad so much. To know that he was well, going one through of, this. One of the questions I was asked earlier on was um, whether I could practice in another state. And that's one yes. of the things that I think needs to be fixed that you pointed out because it's each state has its only it, – it, its way of having its good old boys club. It's all, They run it yes. their own way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's the same with the Second Amendment. It's each state. There are some states that have fair laws and they have laws that make sense and some don't. And it depends on what party is running the state. And two of the things I would like to see happen, and I maybe it's maybe it's just 
not going to happen. But two of the things I'd love to see happen is one is a universal license, a license where yes. if you take a test and you're an attorney, you can practice in other states. You're not prohibited. You don't need and someone else to sign off. And same with a gun license where you qualify, yeah. you're, you're, you're not uh, mentally impaired. You don't have a, you know, you're not a danger to society. You have a firearm. You can travel to other states. That's a problem up here in Massachusetts. Uh-huh. You don't know how many clients of mine, you know, they're going to drive from Massachusetts to Florida, but if they go through a blue state and they get pulled over, they're going to get arrested and charged with a felony. Oh, wow. Even though they're lawfully licensed in Massachusetts. It just doesn't make sense. Wow. wow. Uh, like I say, it is a, a dangerous time for all of us. And like I say, these these groups uh, that are growing by the day on the net demanding that the bar associations be disbanded, uh, I'm all for them because I think they are the largest and most prescient danger to our legal system. And this the idea that they should become so powerful they can change the law. They can set their own rules that somehow become treated like law. No, you're not legislators. This wasn't voted on or anything else. You can't just, you know, this qualified immunity thing actually just ooh, eats me well, alive. Well, think about it, think about this. When, whenever there's a board, there's a governing you, whether it's a judge or, you know, a board of people that are making the rules, and you don't have a right to challenge them with a jury trial, there's a problem. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the other thing is, too, Richard, I think there should be citizens' councils that review complaints against attorneys and judges. And I had a – out in D.C., I had a, a judge out there tell me – he said, well, he said, that's not going to work. He said, uh, what do you know about the law? I said, apparently as much as you do, I've read some of your rulings. I said, I couldn't do <laughs> well, any there's worse. There's a standard in the law that I've used many times called the reasonable person standard. <laughs> If a reasonable ah, person can there, understand it. Yes. and uh, But it, that was like I had an attorney step up on me out there the first year I was there. And I'm short, and he's quite tall, looming. And he stepped up and leaned down looking at me, and he goes, you know, you're dangerously close to practicing law without a license. I said, well, that puts me in the same boat as you because you don't have any such license either. I said, you got a bar union dues card. That's not a license. And I said, only the state can issue a license, and they haven't done so. So what license is it you're talking about? And he got really <laughs> mad. His face got – you see people, their face get red, and they look like a baboon. That's kind of what he looked like. And <laughs> well, that's, that's when you know so you I, struck a nerve. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, and if you read the Constitution of the United States, it says that the law shall be applied equally. It doesn't say anything about qualified immunity for this special group of people. No, I said that's that's unconstitutional. Furthermore, the implication there is not only is, shall it be applied equally, but I have equal access to it. I don't have to have a bar union dude card or go to law school. If I can master it and get in a courtroom, I have a right to be there. That's what pro se is all about. And I said, but it becomes apparent on many pro se cases that I've sat in, either it's intentional that they deny any knowledge of what you're talking about or they really are that obtuse and they don't know because I've seen judges and attorneys on the opposition absolutely look baffled and then come back with, well, I'm going to have to look that up. I'm going to have to look that. I'm not familiar with that. looks to me like you ain't too much familiar with anything. And, um, but the idea, you know, and do you know, go back a hundred years, 
I'm almost that old. Go back 100 years. It used to be that if you went to an attorney, I mean, now there were still some shysters in, but in general, they were, they were like your family doctor. This was a personal relationship, and they did represent you, and they did look after you, but that has all changed. And now well, it's, it's funny you should say that because that's how I feel. When a client comes to me, I feel like you know, if I do my best for them, then they're going to keep me. I'm going to be the family attorney. I'm going to be yes. there's going to be that loyalty. Yes. And and you can and trust and that's extremely important. That trust. And uh and so many people it I mean sometimes it's really alarming to read people's comments about attorneys and bar associations and judges and you think to yourself how could this possibly have gotten this bad? You know, that they are so disrespectful. Well, you know why? Because there's no consequences anymore. When you're in a position of power right. and there are not consequences, and then you you make a ruling that's going to help your buddy pat his pocket or you're going to help yourself, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. They're not held yep. to any kind of consequences for their actions. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and it, it perpetuates and... Uh, grows this corruption and this abuse. Uh, we've talked several times on this show, Richard, about people that suffer from legal abuse syndrome, which is now a recognized diagnosis. And, you know, what it is is people not experienced in any of this will go into a court, a tribunal, thinking they know what the law is, they got the Constitution, but we've had judges tell them, you mention the Constitution one more time in my courtroom and I'll put you in jail. You don't have any rights in this. And he's telling the truth. This is a tribunal. and But it, it, to see people go in and they think they know and they think they're secure and, you know, I've, I've got this protection and they have to follow the law. No, they don't. And they are hit with this wall of corruption and many times this menace that's sitting on the bench. And the shock the the re, reality of this, the realization that they are in there fully exposed and they have no rights, they can't speak, they're not allowed to speak, they're not allowed to say anything in their defense, and the shock from that causes a lot of times what's called legal abuse syndrome. These people actually are traumatized. Uh, one lady I talked to that had been diagnosed with this said, she said it was like everything I believed in all my life about this country and who we were she said, just shattered and hit the floor. And well, she you said, know, I, I got to say the cure, one of the cures for that might be the truth well, and the light. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to support newspapers like Lonnie's because that's the yes. equalizer. See, the equalizer is the public. And, and once exactly. in a while, we've had cases in Massachusetts where uh, there was a very famous case in Massachusetts where uh, a young child was taken away from the family and it was the court, it was the public outrage that actually got it got got the the judge and and got got people to change and got uh, that child taken back to the parents because they were they were the word got out to the people and that's we still have yes. that believe it or not. Well, the case of uh, Justina Pelletier. That's the one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. the case. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and. Um, the um, uh, judge had slapped a gag order on her parents, and her dad said, screw you, and went on. Oh, well, that's another <laughs> thing they do. 
They they try to yeah. they try to impound the case and they try to make it so it doesn't get out to the public. Right. And he got right on cable news and said, you know, they tried to gag me, but this is my daughter and this is what they've done. Now, they did lose the case here a while back where they sued Boston's children. And um, they did, for some reason, they thought that what Boston's children did was just damn fine. But here this girl is going to pay for this for the rest of her life. And um, uh, this thing, you know, it's a dangerous thing to do these days to go to the doctor because here again this isn't uh, you know the family doctor that was part of your family that you relied on you trusted who was always looking this isn't the case anymore this is about profits and power and we have like uh, in Virginia they introduced a law this last year and I have to look and see what happened to that that if you go in the hospital you lose all rights to make any decisions that's all done by the doctors and Everything They'll make all your medical decisions. You do not have a right to a second opinion. And we see a lot of people guardianized in the hospital who said, I want a second opinion. Boom, overnight the hospital attorney guardianizes them. Uh, This is happening across the country. Um, Questioning the treatment can get you put on psych watch. Uh, refusing medication can do the same thing. And then they will get a court order to forcibly medicate you whether you need it or not. And so it's a dangerous place to be, to go in the hospital or even to go to your doctor. And I advise everybody this. If you go to your doctor, let's say you have a sinus infection, do not answer questions about anything else but that sinus infection. If you mention anything else in most doctor's offices you go into now, they have that big computer screen standing there, and you are being recorded. And so do not talk about anything other than what you made that appointment for. I don't care what questions they ask you. If they ask you to fill out this psychological inventory thing, have you felt depressed? Sometimes, always, never. Um, you know, have you felt suicidal just when I came in here? Um, just, you know what I say, they ask you all these questions. We just need to know where you're at. But then they come right behind that with, well, you need to take this medication, this medication, this medication. No, I'm not taking anything. Well, we can get you for noncompliance. Well, do what you have to do and I'll do what I have to do behind it. Don't answer any, don't fill out any forms. And when you are signing into your doctor's office and most particularly the hospital if you're going in and they have the back of the monitor facing you and you can't see and they say and you need to electronically sign this admission form let me see the admission well it's just a standard admission form well then there should be no trouble with me reading it well what is it you want to know print it off let me see it i'll sign a hard copy well i need you to no you print it off and i'll read it because if the word biologics is in there they can vaccinate you experiment on you with blood stem cells whatever they want to do and you are forfeiting all of your rights. The other thing they do when you go in the hospital, particularly if, as an elderly person, is they immediately run an asset search. They check your credit, your bank account, everything. I caught them doing this here some years ago when I had to go in for a surgery. And I said, why are you doing that? Well, we just, we just want to know you can pay the bill. I, you've got three insurance cards sitting there. I think I'm covered. And... Well, we just, but this is how they do. And then they have uh, many times a guardian on speed dial. And they'll call them up, tell them we got a live one. And everything is set in motion. We've caught charge nurses 
on the floors in major hospitals with guardians on speed dial. We've got a live one. We got one in that you should see the asset list. And so be careful what you're doing. Don't answer any questions other than specifically what you are there for. And don't don't mention anything else because any of it can open a Pandora's box on you. Any of it. Now then, I've preached to everybody. <laughs> we got about five minutes left here, Richard. Did you have anything you wanted to add in closing? I hope well, the you last enjoyed thing, being one on. One of the things I'd like to say is, you know, you know about that Justina Palavia case, and my understanding yes. was um, Lonnie was one of the first reporters to, to break that story, and it was the Boston yes. Broad. It's one of the reasons he started the broadside to get that word out, and it's so yes. important. I just want to leave your your viewers. Um, whatever they can do to help him and to help him stay alive and help that beacon of light be out there. Cause that is one of the tools we still have left to us is the truth yes. and the ability yes. to hold these people accountable and at least get the word out and not be gagged. Right. Exactly. If we don't demand our rights, they're not going to give them to us. And even when we demand them, if they're trying not to give them to us or to allow us to have them, and it's going to take everybody standing up for whatever cause is your your issue. But you need to stand up. You need to speak out, scream it from the rooftops. Too much has gone wrong. And with this faked up COVID virus thing, uh, supposedly we're being plagued by a virus. And somehow they haven't been able to identify a virus. So what the hell? How can we? <laughs> Sorry, something in this doesn't make sense. And then... I want to caution you all, this COVID virus was one of four strains loaded into last year's flu vaccine, according to the Department of Defense. One of those strains causes this serious, terrible pneumonia. Don't get that flu vaccine. I don't know how many of you have to get sick to realize you are being intentionally infected with numerous mutated viruses, bacterium, fungus, the DNA of non-related species, all sorts of carcinogenic chemicals. What made you think this would give you any protection? They just made you permanently ill. And for two to three weeks after you are vaccinated, you are shedding, read the circular on the vaccine, you are shedding the viruses you were infected with. For all you mask-wearing fools out there, How come you didn't self-quarantine when you got your flu vaccine? Why were you walking around in public spreading the viruses you were infected with? So I ain't doing that mask thing. Y'all do what you want. I am not. I refuse to do that mask thing. But anyway, we've covered a lot of territory. Richard, we enjoyed having you on, and I hope you enjoyed being on with us. We, well, me, not cause. Me, I get a little carried away in case you didn't well, notice. Well, I, I really and, did enjoy it, and I, I really thank you for inviting me to come on the show. And um, I think, you know, you covered a lot of subjects, and I'll tell you what, please just keep getting the word out there. Yeah. Well, if anything comes up with you, Richard, you start getting attacked and threatened and everything, you let us know. We'll get you right back on air. We've got a huge audience, and we'll get it all over social media. We'll get it everywhere and see if we can't back them down Um, because I really am concerned with you taking up the torch for John and Lisa and Lonnie Um, they didn't anticipate anybody doing this you know um, these are big players 
They're used to getting their way, doing what they want, whether it was legal or not. And this wasn't supposed to happen. So you walk lightly. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, my advice would be to carry a 38, but that's just me. Anyway. Uh, 45 um, U.S. government issue. Yeah, you go. <laughs> you go. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but we'll be back uh, Sunday night with Tanya Talks over the prisons there in Oklahoma. Those shows are absolutely exploding. And we'll be there for that. And then we'll start the week off another round of God knows what. But anyway, Richard, thank you again so much. And Cos, thank you. You were awful quiet. You were awful quiet tonight, but I just realized it was because I talked too much. Well, (laughs) I did all the talking last week. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in. And please, please. Go over to the GoFundMe site for Lonnie Brennan and the Boston Broadside. You can afford 10, 15, 20. Don't tell me you can't. Do what you can to help this man. He's done a lot to try and help other people. We'll see you all Sunday night. Everybody, thank you, and good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night.